Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Okay, guys. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. It seems a while, but for you, it's still going to be two weeks. That's true. For us, it's more a while. Yeah, I would say so. Since before Christmas still, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So you guys are like in the, what, the end of February? When they're hearing this? Yeah. It's in two weeks from now. Mm-mm. No? Two weeks from now, there's part two. Oh, four weeks from now. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah. Today is... Groundhog's Day. That's Groundhog's Day, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and apparently the Groundhog in PA so is Shadow. Oh, he did? I didn't yeah. look. I usually so, look. Puxatawney Phil. Puxatawney Phil. Six more weeks of winter. As it always is. But if the winter is the one that we have had up to now, I'll take... <laughs> That's true. It hasn't been that bad. Have you watched the Groundhog thing before? The, the, the happening when they, they lift him? The, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I watched it. Okay. So I watched it a couple of years ago, and it's not how they describe it, though. Like, they don't do the shadow thing anymore. No. They just have two pieces of paper uh-huh. wrapped up in ribbon, like two scrolls. Okay. And then they just put him in front of the two scrolls and see which one he moves towards. And then they take that one and unwrap oh, it. Oh, I haven't watched it in a while then. Are you sure there was, like, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that. That was the big one. We were very pissed. We were excited to see this whole thing. And Did you, you watch it on TV? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not you didn't go to. No, place. no, no. I didn't go. <laughs> Imagine just like. Well. But do you? Was it during COVID? Uh, no, I don't think so. But that, if it was during COVID, maybe that was. The some, shadow transmits. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they didn't want to touch the the, the, the ground dog. They touched them. Because they they, they, t- they put him there and. Like, there's these YouTube videos where they put a cat in front of two flavors of Doritos, and then the cat chews, and they're like, see, this is the better Dorito. Uh-huh. They basically just did that with... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, first of all, I'm wondering what number of Paxidoni Phil we're in, because they must have died. Oh, it's like a... Like the third, Like the Santa's fourth. Little Helper. Santa's yeah. Little Helper 2. Yeah, it's going to be like the, the, the fifth or something. <laughs> That's a good question. Is that where does it have? It's not near you, right? No. It's like no. very rural Pennsylvania? Yeah, it's like towards the middle of Pennsylvania, I want to say. We should go. We should, you know. Imagine. It's like a big New Year's thing. We should have a a, a, a club meeting there or a walk and talk. At the? At the, at the Paxidoni Phil thing. And talk about time and... Note and taken. <laughs> is, is the groundhog really accurate? Or, you know, or we can talk about time with the Groundhog Day stuff. Like Bill Murray. The Bill Murray All stuff. right, all right. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, but today we're not going to talk about no, time. No, no, nothing nor about that. the groundhog. No, the groundhog. Uh, talking about something different. We might be talking about indirectly the idea of oh, Groundhog true. or the idea of time. True, true. Because today we're talking about uh, Plato's theory of forms. And all that that implies. Um, yep. do, you, do you think that there is a, let's say, a popular way of describing this, that people, of intending this, that like the lay person is familiar with? Mm. I think are so. Are there concepts? That I come think from there that? are cultural cliches that pretty accurately depict a very small part of Plato's theory okay. forms. What are you What are you thinking? Of? I'm curious. Okay, and I don't know if we can start from there or so. Or if we're gonna be all because well, this happens, I think a lot. Like you know, you get watered down versions of philosophy yeah, and little cliches. This is why I'm asking. Um, not everything is as it seems. Okay. Right, I think that's a that's one that people know, yeah, and tell you something, yeah, about what Plato was getting at. Yeah, what about the 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 all you know Platonic love thing? Do you think it's part of it, or is that a specific? Stuff? Oh, people use that word a lot when talking about friendships. Yeah, right. They're like, oh no, it's just Platonic, which is so funny because when you're younger, because I know I had this experience when I was younger, you don't know that that word has anything to do with this person called Plato. You think it's like its own word. 
Yeah. <laughs> and if you were to be like, what does that mean? You would be like, uh, I don't know. Uh huh. So do you think that but that's part of it, right? Sure. Yeah, because yeah, which is is a bad trickle down because there is no thing called platonic love. Like he talks about many different types of love. Exactly. But it's part of it. Uh, what else is there? Like still a Plato in general, if not with the theory of forms. Um, are there other little cliches that has something to do with Plato? I don't know. I think, I think this is. Those are the main. Those are the main ones. Yeah, those are the main ones. Because the next thing I was going to say was directly related to one something in a text, but oh, like uh, shadow. Oh, the shadow. The, yeah, like the the relation that most people see between shadows and reality. And reality. Okay. I think that's one that even if they never read Plato, everyone gets that 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 idea. That idea. Yeah. True. And the thing about Plato's forms is that if you take a philosophy class, this is like you will always encounter this somehow. True. Right? Like, even if you don't directly do crazy lessons on it, you're going to keep bumping into it in a bunch of classes. Yeah, it's one of the things that I think one of the reasons why most professors deal with it is because, again, it's like kind of the bedrock of certain things. You need to go through that mm -hmm. to explain some other stuff. Uh, but it's, I think it's interesting that the first thing that came to your mind was this distinction between appearance and reality kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Not everything is like it appears to be. Mm -hmm. There is another another thing uh, right there. And I I wonder, though, how many people just say that versus mm. really think of the distinction of what it really means, that not everything is the way it appears. Uh, probably low percentage, because as with most things, you just kind of make conversational noise to yep. fill space. You just say things rather than analyzing and thinking about it, right? Mm -hmm. So that that is cool. So... Where should we start from? What do you think? Should we explicitly? Well, should we explicitly talk about? I mean, I, I think the word form. Okay. Like talking about maybe what it comes from, different ways it's tra because what does that mean, right? Yeah. For, when someone hears the word form, yeah, if they really think about it and are forced to give an answer, they would probably say something like shape. Yeah. Right. right? Like, oh, the form of this thing. It's the root, actually, is that like and the, the Latin root is that of shape. And, and this goes back to morphe? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So shape of something, I think that's metaphorically yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so what is this guy talking about? The theory of shapes? What does that mean? <laughs> it's a geometry. <laughs> it's geometry, which he does like. Yeah. So you have this word form, which used to be translated as the word idea. Idea, yeah. Already an interesting thing. Yeah. That whatever this is, it has to do with forms slash ideas, yes. and these things are like kind of the same. Yeah, and sometimes the theory of forms is called the theory of ideas. Right? right. And I think that there are pros and cons in using either one of them. Agreed. Uh, the form thing as the con of what you just said, right? People identify that with shape, and it's very difficult to take that away from their head. Mm -hmm. The pro of idea is identifying this thing that he's talking about that's something that we don't perceive with our senses mm. but he has the downfall of having people thinking of my personal uh, the content of what I'm thinking mm -hmm. which is definitely not what he has in mind mm -hmm. um, but I think a mixture of two and I think we already said something right uh, about this the theory of forms oh, it has to do with something that is not material mm -hmm. and it's something more than just the shape of something right yeah it's it's definitely not the literal shape no at best you can say it's a figurative shape of something i think it's it would be more appropriate if we would call it scheme scheme i would i usually form. say uh structure or oh, structure yeah uh essence it's all words, it's all words. that are loaded it's, <laughs> it's crazy because this, like this doesn't go back to just one of the Greek words, right? Like the main one is eidos, yeah, right, and that's the one that I attach to most. This is the one that you know, like the phenomenologists talk about, yeah. but it is associated with other words as, as well. Yeah, yeah, and again, if we think of where Plato comes, right, and the fact that he's kind of bringing to a complete new level. Mm -hmm. 
the pre-Socratics worries about essence and principle and all these things, you see a continuity there, right? Mm. So he's mixing together two different tra traditions and saying, well, we need to explain certain things about reality and none of the ways in which we've gone about this is satisfactory. Mm -hmm. So we need a completely different theory and we need to do this, this second navigation, start looking at things from a different perspective, right? Because mm -hmm. he, he is dealing with some issues, right? He's, he's dealing with the issue of change. So Plato observes that in the world where we live in, things do change, but they also stay the same. Yeah, and how are both of those things true? How right? is you know how is it that I'm still me when I look at my picture 20 years ago? I definitely look different. 40 years ago, even more different, right? <laughs> um, it's still me, but I, I have changed, right? How do we put these two things together? And I think that that is the that is the initial question. Then he goes overboard. But. Yeah, and so if it wasn't evident already what this is, for those of you guys listening, is it's supposed to be uh, a theory of everything, right? An explanation yeah. for the structure and the origins of the universe, of, the universe, yeah. of all reality. Yep. So would you say that is is just ontological? Is just metaphysical, would you say? Because I think it's also epistemological. I think it's both. It's both things, right? Yeah. One of those cases where the two things are almost the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I think he has good questions to begin with. So this beginning question is the, it is the question, right? If you're observing the world without the, the eye of the hyper-modern person, you kind of you look at things with the eyes of a kid. You you'd be like, "Hey, how does this happen? Isn't this weird?" Yeah, and to be honest, I before we get into his answer, right? What is the answer that we have hmm. today for that question? What for, kind of for how is it possible to yeah. simultaneously stay the same and change? Yeah. What is what is the you know um, science does some stuff like that I guess right tells us something like this. Okay, so I think there's probably um, a quote unquote common sense uh -huh. intuitive answer, and then there would be a scientific answer. Mm -hmm. um, the intuitive answer is just yeah, well, both of those things are true because in some sense you change, and in some sense you don't. Yes. Right? everyone is like, yeah, I get it, which is not very explicative. But um, th and then the. <laughs> The science explanation is uh, unity, staticness is an illusion. Yeah. Right? Like everything is constantly in flux. Anything we see as being one is just, a, just an illusion. Yeah. Or rather, it's a feature of perception, yes. not a feature of, of the reality. way that... Yes, exactly. Which is already interesting, right? Because science is endorsing, possibly without knowing... Uh, an ancient Greek philosopher theory, which is Heraclitus, which is mm -hmm. one of the people that Plato has studied and has uh, looked at. It says that, you know, we might be under the illusion that things stay the same, but things are always changing, right? Mm -hmm. But yet again, there has to be, we feel, there's this sensation, there's something, there's some unifying aspect mm -hmm. that cannot be changing at all. Otherwise, this would not make sense. Yeah, I mean, things seem to have, like, things aren't purely entropic, right? It's not just chaos, meaningless all the time. Like, we we see some kind of order, and I guess the question is, like, if that order we see is just something we are imposing on the yes. world, or if it's an actual feature in reality that we're picking up on in perception... Or that perception itself is the reality. Now, Plato's not going to agree with that one. Nope. Definitely but just not. throwing it out there. No, definitely not. But, and just, uh, but I think it's interesting to see that we have a right to this kind of conclusion for the scientific perspective, right? And at the same time, from the popular way of looking at things, the common sense thing that you're saying is mm -hmm. kind of putting these two things together, which is what Plato wants to do, kind of, right? Would you agree to that? What What do you think is the ultimate goal of Plato? Putting those two things together or rather erasing one of them? I think it's supposed to be a synthesis. You think it's a synthesis? I think so. I think it's trying to be like, wait a second. Um, 
there's a sense in which this is true. There's a sense in which this is true. I no matter how I conceive of things, I can't erase this one. Okay. okay. Right? It can't only be this one. It can't only be this one. How can I make this stuff work together? <laughs> I yeah. Cuz it is true that so choose being, for example, right? Like everything is different from everything else. Mm-hmm. Even one thing from moment to moment is not actually one thing. Yeah. But at the same time, to go to what you say about Parmenides, yeah. uh, you know, everything that is, is, is. So at once, everything is isness, right? Everything is being. It's just somehow you could change within this container of being. Yeah. And I think he's like, hmm, well, we need a better way of explaining this. It's been insufficiently explained by Heraclitus and Parmenides. Exactly. And these are the two pillars that he's using and he's trying to figure this out. But I think, uh, and again, I might be wrong. I don't want to get any angry letter from Platonists. Uh-oh. Plato himself. Plato himself will write me from the grave. Now, um, I'm under the impression that Plato is trying to do, is trying to tell us ultimately the opposite of what science is telling us today. Mm. Science is telling us today that appearance is the unity if the stableness is the you know the the fact that things stay the same identity if you want that mm. is the appearance while the reality is that everything is constantly changing mm-hmm. or plato is telling us i believe that the fact that everything is constantly changing and this change that's going on that is happens that is happening apparently well, in reality, yeah. things do not change. That's an interesting little comparison there. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. Because that is the real thing. This is not real. Hmm. This is just the world of appearance. This is the shadows. Yep. We have these two competing narratives. One, reality is unchanging. Perception is changing. Two, perception is unchanging. Reality is changing. Exactly. And the thing is, though, and this is a, a, a challenge, I think, every time we talk about the ancients in class or we, we study these things, it's try to show that they're not crazy. Right. <laughs> and they're not that naive. And that the answers that they give, can they, they can still be uh, not just interesting, but um, on, a le- on a certain level even useful to us. Yeah, how much do you hate it when someone's like, "Well, that was back then," and oh man, and now it's we know better. It's different. Yeah, exactly. And that I really hate that. Because it, so the premise that I make when I go through the Presocratic is like, listen, I'm just showing you who started the conversation, right? Of course, in our eyes, some of the questions might be a little silly. Some of the questions might sound strange, but I hope to show you that there is something to them. And I got to say that most of the students eventually they see something into that, especially when we go to the later pre-Socratic, like with Democritus, we atoms and stuff mm. like that. They start recognizing words, uh, but it's hard, right? It's kind of like in school. I don't know if this is like this for you, but it's certainly like this for Americans, or at mm-hmm. least Americans in my generation, <laughs> which was when you take a history class. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, here. Uh-huh. They don't start you with the immediate stuff. They start you with like ancient civilizations. Okay. okay? So you go in in middle school yeah. and you're learning about things thousands of years ago in foreign places and you're like, what is this? I don't know who – why is this important <laughs> to me? And you don't get to American history. Okay. Like, the more contemporary American history until you're junior, maybe junior and senior year of high school. That's when okay. you do like US one and two. Okay. And I remember I um, was very uninterested in history. Okay. In part because the way they teach it is like names and dates, names and dates, rather yeah. than a philosophical thing, how like Gene yeah. would do in his classes. Yeah. Um, but also, once I started getting to like the mid late 1800s then i started to see something i recognized and i said oh so this is like this like i remember learning about the annexation of hawaii okay right um 
and then going into the early 1900s, and I was like, oh, now this is the world I know, and exactly. here's the explanation for the world I know. And so I suspect with your students, when you start with the pre-Socratics, it's like, what is this weird stuff? Yeah. And then when you connect it to atoms and you know yeah. whatever it is, then they start to be like, oh, that's like this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the system in Italy is similar, but I think they do something. I don't know. Actually, I don't know because we go through. We recapitulate history every cycle. So elementary school, we start with prehistory and we end up with contemporary history. And then you do mm. this again in middle school, but a little bit more in-depth. And then you do this again in high school. So by the time you're done with school, allegedly, you know some things. You guys are just better at this. <laughs> I don't know. I, it works differently. It works I remember differently. I was in college and I, there's this girl next to me. She was Polish, uh, like from Poland, in a sociology class. And something came up about... Uh, I don't know, like some Western history thing, um, and I was like, I don't know. And she's like, How do you not know this? This is like, this is your country. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> but this seems to happen more often in certain places than others. Well, we do have, I guess, we pay attention to humanistic stuff more to humanities more than mm. you guys do here. Over here is math and English. You're also older. You have this, like, rootedness. Like the country, you mean, not just me. No, not just you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I think it's interesting that um, that you're able to see the connection only when you recognize Mm -hmm. words and stuff like that. Well, for us, the idea is that you see the connection since the beginning. So Mm -hmm. this is the thing that I don't like the way history is taught here and there, is that it's seen as some sort of a progression Right. That eventually leads you there. What is not that linear to at us, all. Exactly. To the perfect end. Exactly, exactly. So we yeah. are now able to understand things, which is the root of a lot of problems that we have. In philosophy too, right? That we end up being the, the end product and the perfect product that knows everything and knows better. Yeah. We judge the other people. And this is why these are just some old guys talking about stuff that has no relevance to me anymore. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that is not the case. Nope. Plato would say, right? Because... Again, and I think this is connected to that because our way of looking at things is the scientific way. In appearance, uh, things may be the same, but there's always changing and there's always morphing into something. And this latest iteration is the best. Mm-hmm. Well, with Plato, Plato will tend to tell us that throughout history, for example, right? There's an, here we go. There it is. See, that's the... That's the you have a child now Uh-oh. alarm, and ordinarily you you'd be used doing... to have alarms even before your child. But now this is the now you have a child. Oh, alarm. Okay. I deleted like a hundred of them over break. <laughs> I swear. How many do you have now? Mm, five or six. Okay. Okay. Five or six. So that's better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Saint Paul would tell us that there are certain things that stay the same throughout history. There are the same. They take a different. I don't want to use the word shape because otherwise we're in trouble. Uh-oh. They take a different uh, – they're dressed differently, right? But they're still the same things. And I think that's that's a big difference. And therefore, because they're dressed the same, it is worth going and looking at them at the mm-hmm. different ways in which this thing is being presented. And we're not different, completely different from what right. we were in the 1500s. It's still – the same essence there. Yep. This, uh, this band, I, I like three, they have this song and the lyric is the same old story, but the names have all been changed, right? So it's that kind of idea where there's these patterns that keep happening yep. um, because there is nature, right? Yes. And because there is human nature, which we talked about, <laughs> uh, 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 and there's a relation between these two things, uh-huh. of course, these things are going to keep showing happening. themselves. They're going to keep yeah. happening, yes, especially when it comes to human stuff right mm-hmm. um should we get more into the yeah okay so you have this guy trying to explain um how oneness and flux so oneness and staticness mm-hmm. and plurality and flux can coexist correct and the answer seems to be that the thing to which the oneness and the plurality refer is not the same thing. Yes. Because this is how it avoids being a contradiction, right? Because non-contradiction, Aristotle says, like, you know, something can't be in and not be in something at the same time in the same way, 
Correct. So it's not like he's saying A is one and A is also many. It's more like this one property of A is one, but this other property Property. is many. And the entirety of A contains both of these things in different respects. Correct. Yeah, I would would agree with you. Um, Not only avoids to be a contradiction, though, but it gives us a completely different view of the way the universe is because at this point you're left with description not of one thing but of two things pretty much Mm. you're describing two separate to a certain extent you're you're describing two separate entities i want to say it's like they're conceptually distinct but realistically co-occurring and co yes or co-occurring or connected Mm, whichever word yeah, no. <laughs> uh, which I think is the f- so uh, famously says there are two different worlds right Plato says there's the world of being and the world of becoming right mm-hmm. or the world of being is the real world where all the static uh, eternal truths and concepts and forms and, and stuff are and then there's the world of becoming which is the world where we live mm-hmm which is always changing, which is never, though, um, accurate. Is the plurality of things in there. Mm-hmm. And these two worlds are somewhat connected in a way that... Well, actually, the way they're connected is kind of an issue. It's always been an issue, right? Uh, but there is a connection, right? Mm-hmm. The In the most basic sense, I guess he would say that this world is the mirror image, mm. not the mirror image. It's an image of the world of being. There is this connection there. There is this this kind of connection as one thing being derivative of the other one. And us being the derivation. And us being the derivation, exactly. The imperfect mm-hmm. derivation, right? Because that's the other characteristic of the world of being which is everything in there is perfect mm-hmm. well everything in here is imperfect that sounds like it do you so again contextualizing things do we think that this idea is plausible what does that mean right what does it mean that there is a world of being and a world of becoming what a question right so the theory of forms is funny because it's one of those things that you you would encounter in like an intro class but also in a very hyper specified graduate level <laughs> class exactly so everyone kind of knows in a general sense what yeah. the theory of forms is but no one like perfectly really knows yes. what it is and so someone could be like oh yeah it's just this thing and then you ask someone else the same question and they're like i don't know what this <laughs> is right um so whether or not it's plausible depends on exactly what we think he means when he uses these concepts like realms. Yeah. Um, is it literal? Like is a place? It, is it mean? metaphorical? Uh-huh. Right? These are the questions to ask. Because um, in his creation account, mm-hmm. he says that – so maybe – you were right to ask if co-occurring or connected is, is the better phrase because the problem with co-occurring means that there's almost like an equivalence between the two, and they're not. Um, the realm of being was before. Yes. Right? It was before. It always been. It always has been. That's yeah. right. It never wasn't. Exactly. Um, and it will never not be. Yeah, so we, we can't co-occur with it because we come yep. into being and leave. Whereas this thing is always there. So connected better. So you have this realm of what is. And this realm of what is is unchanging. It has the quote-unquote perfect form, eidos, idea, structure um, of everything. everything. (laughs) Just literally everything. everything. Right? And that that in itself is, is... difficult because there are some things that you have to ask like can there be a form of blank but wouldn't this require a form of blank and blah, blah, and you can kind of go on this forever and we could talk about that but so basically you have this realm and then you have this thing called the demiurge mm-hmm. which is like god mm-hmm. but not spiritual but not sp- yeah it's weird so <laughs> it's like a creative force yes right the it's demiurge the creator. yes 
And this creator looks at the world of forms like a model. Yeah. Like if you were looking at a model in an art class, figuratively, <laughs> and molds our world based on that. And when he molds our world, he really is molding it because molding is like physical material stuff. And so he's trying to make the material stuff in likeness to this formal non-material stuff as much as it can be. Yeah, it's like an artist. It's like an artist, right? God is this artist. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's more to it than that. But one question that already comes up is like, well, what is the Demiurge? Mm -hmm. Right? Is it... Is it in the realm of forms? Because one of the things about the distinction between the forms and our world is that they're actually unalike. They actually can't touch. Yes. Right? Because a non-physical thing can't touch a physical thing. To the point that in order for you to fully access that one, you need to die. You need to die, right? There's no other way. So somehow there's this thing that's able to like have one foot in one and one foot in the other. So it's this weird connecting piece. Which would lead to the assumption that it is beyond the world of forms, which means that there is something beyond that. Which is one yeah, thing yeah, that's, right. a, that's an issue. It's, a, it's, like, it's like the Euthyphro problem, yeah. right? Like, um, but even worse. So is the, basically, is the Demiurge subject to the world of forms, or is the world of forms subject to a Demiurge, which is higher... So he makes this world based on these things. I don't know where he is. Yeah. If he is in the realm of forms, if he is in both, if he, if it is a form, right? This was this is an idea I, I toured with in grad school that the demiurge isn't actually a thing that's separate from the forms. It's just a, a certain forms working together to perform a creative activity. Or is it just a force? A it force. Is, it is the connection between the two things. Could be. That I don't know. It's tough. So it gets more material. So this is like the Neoplatonics that will think that it's like this. Mm. This kind of, can we say, not scale, but almost there's a connection between the more the perfect, perfect, which is the form, and then it starts kind of losing perfection until you get to the. And one issue people bring up is like if there's a third thing that connects this thing. Yeah. Does there then have to be a connection piece between... Yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of the issues that Aristotle will have with him. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's interesting, this this molding aspect, right, first of all, and the, the, the fact that the connection between our world and that world seems to be one of similarities based on appearance, mm-hmm. based on even the way the form appear to be. Mm-hmm. Because if he's if the demiurge is kind of a an artist, is working with that right? He's looking from the outside. I mean, like, hey, this is the way we can make him. Oh, interesting. It's almost like it has to be intrinsically metaphorical. The demiurge thing, yeah, or the old thing, the demiurge thing, because okay. that the whole thing though is something that some people would say. Mm, um, I, I disagree with that. I I don't think he's being. But um, the making stuff, it's like, think of uh, you have um, some experimental artist yeah, uh, like Pollock, mm-hmm. right? And he paints this thing and he's like, this is that. This is angst, right? And you're like, well, it doesn't literally looks like angst, but you're trying to capture the essence of, of angst in this f- visual thing that it is not. Yeah. And so... You know, you could say that, oh, maybe what the Demiurge is doing is I'm trying to capture the essence of, I don't know, beauty okay. in this beautiful thing. physical representation of it that is not really like this thing in any literal way. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like a Pollock of the forms. And I think that's interesting. And I think it works for things like beauty or the good or, I don't know, concepts, right? But then, as we said, everything is there, right? Mm-hmm. So is mud and yeah, dirt. Yep. And are they just representations? This is like this line appears in the Parmenides. This yeah. stuff about mud and like I don't know all these random things. Is there a form of mud? Yeah. And what does that mean? And also, 
are we the imperfect copy of this concept, this general concept of humanness? Mm -hmm. Or are we molded after the form of, in our case, man? Hmm. Kind of right. What what is it? Is is the perfect form? Is the form to which we are the image of? Is that conceptual, or is it like, or is there like a a human made simply in a way that's not material that is there? You know what I'm saying? Is there a form of something that is by nature not formal? Yeah, such as human. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, can there be a form of something non-formal? I mean... What do you think he would say? What do you think Plato would say? <laughs> so when they talk about this in the Parmenides, like... Which is one of the most difficult dialogues. Yeah, it's like he's talking to the young Socrates, and Parmenides is like the one, the right? One, he's, yeah. he's talking He's more. the old guy, yeah. He's the wise old one. And so he, he's getting Socrates in this corner where he's like, well, do you think there could be a form of this, this, and this? And I think Socrates says like, no, of course not. But in that dialogue, I don't think it's Socrates that's supposed to be the one embodying no, Plato's idea. That's Parmenides. It's Parmenides that, in yes, this one. I would say so. Um, as much as you know, we can tell. So even though Socrates refutes it very quickly, that doesn't seem to be Plato's position. So he would have to allow. I would think so. For the form of these things like mud and, I don't know, injury. and I, I would think so. I would think so. Spit, yeah. And I think that that is one of those, you know, those dialogues is an interesting one because I think that Parmenides, the old Parmenides, and the young Socrates is in reality young Plato and current old Plato because Plato is old when he writes the Parmenides. He's older. Mm. So he's kind of revising his theory, which is stuff that he will be doing. I don't know how old it is, but you know what? I, let's not let's not swear on that. I'm not sure. But I think that that is one of those dialogues when he's revising stuff, most mm. likely. Um, could, we, could we focus on this for a second? Sure. Because let's ask the question, why... Would there have to be a form of mud and vomit and like random things? And the answer is because you recognize it as something. Yes. Right? And if there is a thing Mm -hmm. called vomit or mud or grass or whatever, like it has to be something. And that's the connection, right? So an artist. Okay, I think it's even better if we think of photography. Cool. When you take a picture of something, Mm -hmm. the picture obviously is not going to be depicting exactly the way things are. There are certain features that are going to look a little bit different depending on the the way the the the, you the, the way you know the light exposes something there, but also the fact that if you print the picture, right, the glossiness and all those things are in there, right. However, in the picture, there cannot be something that was not in the things that you took the picture of. Something can't come from nothing. Right? Yeah. And since this thing that exists in the world of becoming, in our realm, the realm of appearance and so on, do not, do not have independent existence, but they are representation projections, whatever we want to call them of stuff that exists somewhere else, Mm -hmm. even those things, they need to be related to that. They have to be. Because otherwise there is no... If they are... If I'm seeing this and everything that is in here is an imperfect copy of Mm -hmm. something that is perfect, there must be the perfect vomit somewhere. It has to be. And because... Which which I, I don't think he... He bothers me much, the fact that those things existed. No, well. but it doesn't bother me at all. But there was a long period of time where this was terrible, right? Because think of all the, mm. the, the, the Neoplatonic people and the religious take on this. It's like, oh, bad things. You know why? It's because they, I will make a definitive thing, incorrectly conflated being and the good. Yeah, there was this in- idea that being equals goodness. 
it well, which Plato seems to endorse at least partially. Well, I, he gets himself into trouble because if bad things exist, Are. then the, like the good can't be the highest because if th- there's non-good things in it, right? That's a contradiction. Because I think though, and I think that sometimes is a mistake that we make also when interpreting and reading this thing. I think that we do the following thing. We associate the good with being just like this people, and mm-hmm. we think he got in trouble. While I think the good is knowing being is not the thing, but is the activity that leads me to the knowledge of the thing that is the good. In other words, the sun, well, we're going to get too specific if I start making the yeah. the metaphor within the metaphor. Forget the sun. So you're saying the good is the knowing the good is the activity that connects, if you want, the individual to the world of being in one way or another, not okay, not the world of being in itself. So there is no good in itself? I would say, no, the good is this connection. How this connection happens? <sighs> yeah. Uh, well, depends what you mean when you say in itself, because in itself, I think it's like, is there a form of the good? <sighs> there is. There must be if we say that there is. This is the very confusing part. Um, but but okay, let's try to to make it yeah. less confusing. Okay, okay. So there is the effort that we make from this side of the pond, right? Mm-hmm. In the world of being, mm-hmm. to know the world of becoming. Mm-hmm. To, sorry, from the world of becoming to another world of being. The effort that we make right now, right? We're doing philosophy, which according to him is a noble yep. stuff to we'll do. We'll be reincarnated as a bird or something. Exactly, yeah. we'll, we'll get better. Um, so this activity is part of the effort to know the good. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for us, though, according to him, we cannot never know the good because we are made of matter right now. So there is, though, the moment we die, we're going to be part of this world of being. In there, there's probably an effort to know things, too, to know them perfectly with pure reasoning, which is not clouded by anything else. And in this case, you will be able to see and understand the perfection and the goodness mm-hmm. of the old thing. Okay. And that is the good. Is what happens... It's the form of forms. It's the form of forms. As perfection, which I think he says that. It's like the entire system mm-hmm. of the realm of the forms that is the good. Hmm. And specifically noticing how everything is perfect and so on. So that's the good. Yes. So it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Okay, so I've used this language of metaphor before, but not for good. I've used it for being okay. itself, sameness and difference. And I think he would, he would add... You think he would add the good? Uh, yes. So in other words, the, the coming to know things in our realm is an imitation of the coming to know things in the yes. realm of forms. Yes. Okay, I'm going to be the other side of him, yeah. which seems to be in contrast with the side of him that you were getting at, yeah. which is there can't be a coming to know in the realm of the forms. There is just already always knowledge. Yes, definitely. But there's the conscious recognition of, the recognition of that. Just the recognition. Yes. Okay. Just the being presented with it. It's interesting. Maybe, and again, this yeah. is like super interpretive, but... Because I mean, I'm even thinking of, when I originally said this, I was thinking of um, like Aquinas. Yeah. Right? Like like you could have more being. Uh-huh. And this is a good thing. And this this hierarchy. Plato himself says that, actually. I think it's in, I think it's in the Republic, where he's like, don't you agree that there's um, a form of, this, a realm of these things where these things are more? Not that they are more, but they are more, like they have more being. They have more existence. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, he does say that. Uh, but do we 
think that it is correct. Oh, man. I don't know. I'm trying to think of wh- what was the question you asked that made me give that answer. Uh, so for the people listening, this, as usual, we underestimated this thing. <laughs> I, knew, we, I knew we could talk about it forever. Yeah, I know. I know. We, but, you know, we'll be like, oh, we'll do this. This is we're going to manage it. But aside from that, the, mm. the difficulties that we're having are the following. We're trying to do two things at once, I believe. You tell me if you agree with me. We're trying to interpret the text, quote unquote, mm-hmm. what he says, which is already difficult. And we're also trying to figure out if those things are plausible and how we can put them together in a way that it's uh, interesting for us. And doing these two yep. things together is like it's wrecking our brains pretty much. I think so. <laughs> I think so. You know what? I think we're doing the second one because it's like out of respect. Like, yeah. Well, there must be something. Like, how could it be true? Yeah. I just remembered the the answer to the question I just asked you. It was when we were talking about mud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and why people were kind of uh, against it at yeah. first. So there has to be a form of these things yeah. because we recognize particular instances of, of these things. Yeah. Right? But then we could also abstract into a universal yep. form of this thing. So I could be like, oh, there's some mud. There's some mud. But then I have an idea of mud that's distinct from both those instances. That every time I look at mud, I, yeah, I yeah. recognize as part of that. Scheme. And then like, if you make a claim about mud, uh-huh. right, I know, oh, you're not talking about any particular instance of mud, but you're talking about the whole definition of, of yeah. all muds. Yeah. Um, all mud is sticky. All mudness. Yeah. Something wet dirt or something like that so um there can't be a particular without a universal right because it's it's always a particular of a universal that yeah that is the the philosophical way of saying this whereas the universal could exist without the particular to plato correct yeah not for aristotle but to plato to plato yes and that is the issue for aristotle partially right Mm. um the question, the question, many of the questions, the, and I think that might be something that we want to explore on on the other side, on the second part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is like, okay, you know what? Let's assume it's right. Let's assume that there is this realm, right? What does that really mean? Because I think there is a level to which we can agree with him, and we easily agree with him if we imagine this realm to be the realm of the mind. It's easy, and this is the way I I tell the students, I'm going to make you understand this, but while I'm making you understand this, I'm also telling you that this is not what Plato thought. Mm. And this is like kind of re- getting back the, the, the word idea, right? All those things are this universal which you're talking about, this ideas, but think of the way we use those words we use these words to identify things that we do in our head. Mm-hmm. So I look at different pieces of mud. Pieces of mud? Sounds good. Something like that. And then I abstract to mud in general, right? I look at different dogs. And I'm like, oh, Chihuahua, Great Dane, German Shepherd. Let me universalize those things. Let's see what they have in common. Let's make this ideal dog. Mm-hmm. And we do this in our head. So it's a function of our mind if we imagine the realm of being as the realm of our mental construct about the world, that's easy to understand. Then it's just like conceptualism. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. conceptualism. But I suspect, well, not suspect, I think I can be fairly sure about this. That's not what he means. Yeah. He means that this thing is real. Yeah, not just it's it's a thinking thing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, well, maybe it could be thinking thing, but it's not individual. No, yeah, yeah, right, right. And it's not, it's not even species specific. It's not Kant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not just for humans. This thing is objective, universal, pre-existing humans, which means that it doesn't need a human mind to, to exist. Yeah, this is an interesting... Which is connected, I think, that thing. one of the things that he does... Sorry. One of the things that no, he does good. is the one of the purest formers, mathematics, right? 
Yes, yes. Numbers, and I think that that says an interesting ring to it, right? Because then it's like, what are numbers? Where is math? Mm-hmm. And depending on the answer that you that you give, then you be a, Platon- a Platonist or not. This is the whole distinction, maybe between Platonic realism versus Platonic idealism. Correct. Um, and I think that's something that is worth exploring. And I and I guess I that. Think so numbers are one of those things that we might use to kind of use it a good example to kind of see this difference what does it mean that a number in the world of becoming where mm-hmm. we are right now in the realm of becoming and in the realm of of being maybe yeah and i think ultimately what you're saying is is true that he, he doesn't just think of it as thinking like the structure of people thinking yeah because that would be Kant, right that would be like the a priori exactly. forms exactly of thinking and like the conditions for the possibility of um encountering particular phenomena exactly right and he's not saying that because there was something in the parmenides actually where they had this um back and forth where they were like oh is it is it is it you thinking of the thing and the the response was basically something like no because that's still imperfect yes like your thought of something is it's closer yeah to the forms than your sensor sensorily engaging with it but but still not the same thing like yeah. there literally is supposed to be some this word is not right but just so people understand place yeah it's not a spatial place not really yeah. a place but this realm distinct from us and distinct from at least our minds like you said yeah where the forms take place now whether or not they could just be the thinking of the demiurge i was that's about, different yeah i was about to say there is a sense in which the christian tradition that inherits plato and polishes off embraces this and said that the the realm of the forms is like God's mind. And this is this is Barclay. Yeah. Everything exactly. is in God's mind. Exactly, exactly. And others will again, the polished version of the from from uh, from the perspective of, of the Christian of the world of being, it is heaven. It's heaven. That you know, that's you shed everything, you're perfect, everything fine, you don't have any pains or aches. Mm-hmm. Uh there's perfect love, the good and everything. That's that. And mm-hmm. it's not and this angers sometimes people, but it's not by accident it is the same. The Christian tradition it's, it's based on it. uses that. Yeah. Right? That's that's what is what people like, like where else would it come from? And that's when people in this country at least are a little bit confused because they think that Christianity comes before Before Plato. Yes. Oh, interesting. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. BP? Yeah, I'm like, it doesn't. <laughs> interesting. So I think in the, the next one, we could explore this more and start to talk it, uh, about specifics. Like I'm thinking the allegory. Yeah. Um, different things said in different texts of the Republic that will help us try to understand what exactly this form thing yeah. is. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get there, but. Definitely not. <laughs> See you later. See ya.